Uh, the rest of you, take your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 3. We are finally back in Jonah after what seems like a year and a half. Uh, <clears throat> I know I haven't been here a year and a half, but some people say it feels like I have been. Um, it was last year we were in Jonah. That's right. It's been, yeah, it's been at least a year. Uh, funny story, for me anyway. Um, I, I print out my notes that I have the same thing y'all have. And and it says on here, I printed this out November 3rd. Uh, that was a busy week for some reason. I can't remember what it was. And I ended up working to, to, to get Sunday night done like Thursday or Friday. I may have ended up working on Saturday for my Sunday sermon or, or at least Friday and Saturday. Anyway, I was just cranking stuff out there toward the end of the week. And I did my Sunday night first because it's, it's usually shorter and uh, just easier to prepare because the, the slides aren't as intensive, uh, time intensive anyway. So I got it all done and, and then I went, you know, work on Friday and worked all day Friday and maybe Saturday morning getting Sunday morning sermon done and got home Saturday lunchtime and remembered when I got home that Sunday night, November 6th, was our harvest meal. And then the next Sunday night was business meeting. And the next Sunday night was Thanksgiving week, and we didn't have Christmas. I mean, Christmas. We didn't have Sunday night service. And then, so anyway, November 3rd, uh, and, and it just looks, I look back and say, I wasted that time that week getting it done. And it was. Well, it was funny to me. Uh, y'all didn't laugh that much, but I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Etta didn't laugh either. She didn't think it was funny. All right, Jonah chapter 3. It, it, we're not going to worry about catching up. You're familiar with Jonah, right? Uh, J- Jonah chapter 3, actually verse 10 of chapter 2. That's where we're starting tonight. Um, you shouldn't have to turn your page. Just move your eyes just a little bit. Jonah is spit out. The fish has spit him out. We've... The, the book's over, right? Because that's the only part that we, li- we like to talk about. Two verses. The fish swallowed and the fish, the fish spit out. And we're thinking, oh, yeah, that's a great book. We love that story. Uh, well, but in fact, that's only half the story. Uh, now comes the miracle. Now we're getting into the really miraculous part of Jonah. Uh, verse two, uh, Chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. It is possible here that the fish spit Jonah out right back at Joppa. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Uh, wouldn't that have just been the best ever if Jonah's gone on this boat ride and he's trying to get as far away and he went down to Joppa, remember, and then down into the boat and down to the hull of the boat, etc., etc. And then all this time later, he bends up back on the beach at Joppa. We don't know. Don't know where he ended up. Uh, but... Figuratively, if not literally, he ends up back where he got off track. Uh, he's back on dry land, uh, and he is about to hear God's word spoken to him again. I mean, what what must be going through his mind right now? Uh, we don't know. There, there's there's a possibility of a great, huge time frame between two ten and three one. We don't know what happened. What was he doing? Did, did, he, did he go home and kind of convalesce? I mean, he's he's been swimming in 
fish stomach acid for three days? Or, you know, what was he doing at this point? I wish we knew. Wouldn't it have been great if, if Jonah had written like an addendum to, to this? And let me tell you about all the stuff I didn't tell you about in the, in the book. He didn't do it. Um, to some extent, though, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was both literally and figuratively, well, not literally, I hope, licking his wounds. Uh, figuratively licking, literally tending uh, his wounds and, and trying to get things straightened up. But that's, that's where we find ourselves. Uh, he spit up back on the ground, and, and maybe, maybe it's just like it says it. Maybe it, you know, he's back on the dirt, and he's laying there panting, gasping for air, and God speaks to him again. Maybe he gives him time, who knows. But verse 1 of chapter 3, God comes right back at him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. 3 1 has the same exact five words in Hebrew that 1-1 one, one has. It begins the same exact way. And if you, your English translation, if, if they did a good job at it, will say it the same way. 3-1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 1-1. One, one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. First five words are the same. God is uh, redoing the beginning of the book. The beginning of, of, of our book, the beginning of, of this call for Jonah. And it kind of it kind of sets us up. There, there we don't really see the cliffhangers, we don't really feel the cliffhangers because we just kind of read through it. But here, here's a little cliffhanger. If we stop for just a second, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. <gasps> What's he gonna say? I mean, we, 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 is he gonna is there gonna be a reprimand for disobedience? Is there gonna be some sort of commendation now for for faith? You know, for, for being honest and finally getting thrown overboard. And now he's, he's okay, the, the prayer that he prayed inside the whale, is God going to say, good job, Jonah, I really appreciated that prayer. You showed where your heart really was. We get neither. It's almost anticlimactic, except by the wording, it's not anticlimactic. It is, it is God coming to him a second time, and saying the same thing again. God in His mercy and patience gave a second chance. Aren't second chances nice? And third chances. And fourth chances. And fifth chances. Now we know that, that second chances aren't guaranteed. Biblically we can look over and over and over and see that they're not. Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. They didn't get a second chance at the fruit. At not eating the fruit. It wasn't like, okay... You did it once, but don't you do it again. Sound like parents, right? Now, if you do it one more time, you're getting a spanking. No, there was none of that here. Uh, in Numbers 20, uh, verse 12, with Moses and Aaron, and God saying to, to Moses uh, to, to uh, be his mouthpiece, and the, uh, nope, I've got my, hold on, let me go back. This is the problem of preparing something two months beforehand. I didn't go back and read these verses this afternoon or this week. Y'all can turn with me if you want to. Numbers 20, uh, verse 12. If, if y'all are turning pages, it's not quite such an awkward pause. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and he showed his holiness to them. So this was not a second chance for Abraham, uh, for Moses rather. 
Moses had struck the rock as he was not told to do. He was told in this case to speak to the rock. And instead he struck the rock and he didn't get a second chance. It, it wasn't it was no small matter. It looks like a small matter, but it kept Moses out of the promised land. No, no second chance. First uh, Kings 12 uh, verse 26, a very, I say very, it's a, a, a very obscure story. Um, how many people know about the prophet from Judah? It's all he's called. That's, that's all he's referenced as. That, that wouldn't be Jesus. Uh, it's the divided kingdom. It's uh, Rehoboam's the king in, in Jerusalem. And there's this long story in 1 Kings 12 uh, talking about this, this prophet that, that comes from Judah, goes to, to Rehoboam, tells him these things. Rehoboam says, go home. I'm in verse 5. Rehoboam says, go home. Uh, for three days and return me. The, the people left. Um, they came back. He, he rejected their advice, etc., etc., etc. Then when all uh, Jerusalem... Hold on here. I think I've got the wrong book. Yeah, maybe it's Second Kings. Typos and all sorts of... Let me... I heard somebody... Am I getting there? It just doesn't sound right. It is chapter 13, Mindy? Is that what you said? Here we go. It, it's, 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 yeah, it begins with... It is verse uh, chapter 13. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Where did I get 1226? I don't know. Maybe it starts there. It's actually chapter 13. A man of God came from Judah to Bethel. By revelation from the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing beside the altar to burn incense, the man of God cried out against the altar by revelation from the Lord. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son will be born to the house of David named Josiah, and he will sacrifice on you the priest of the high places who are burning down or who are burning incense on you. Human bones will be burned on you. He gave a sign that day. He said, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Now, this prophet is speaking out against high places and false gods and false worship. He is a prophet of God. He's a, a good guy, we, we, we would say. Okay? Gave a sign. Verse 3, this is the sign the Lord has spoken. The altar will now be ripped apart, and the ashes that are on it will be poured out. When the king heard the word of the, that the man of God had cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him. But the hand he stretched out against him withered, and he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was ripped apart and the ashes poured from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then we, then we keep going down a little bit. Uh, verse 8, uh, he's, he's telling um, the king, telling Jeroboam that he will not come to his house. He's, he's been told uh, not to by God. Uh, this is what I was commanded. You must not eat bread. I'm in verse 9. You must not eat bread or drink water or go back the way you came. So he went another way. He did not go back by the way he had come to Bethel. See, okay, again, a obscure story. He's gone and prophesied like he's supposed to. God's told him, when you get there, don't eat or drink and don't come back the way you went. Why? 
don't know, doesn't matter. God gave the command. Now, a certain old prophet was living in Bethel, verse 11 of chapter 13. His son came and told him all the deeds that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. His sons also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. Then their father said to them, which way did he go? His sons had seen the way taken by the man of God who had come from Judah. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he got on it. He followed the man of God and found him sitting under an oak tree. He asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? We never get this guy's name. He's just the prophet of God or the man of God, the whole or a prophet from Judah. I am, he said. Then he said to the man, come home with me and eat bread. But he answered, I cannot go back with you, eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a message came to me by the word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water there or go back by the way you came. He said to him, the old man said to the prophet of Judah, I am also a prophet like you. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. The old prophet deceived him. And the man of God went back with him, ate bread in the house and drank water. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. See where this is going? And the prophet cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. Because you rebelled against the command of the Lord and did not... Keep the command that the Lord your God commanded you. But you went back and ate bread and drank water in the place he had said to you, do not eat bread and do not drink water. Your corpse will never reach the grave of your fathers. So after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, the old prophet saddled the donkey. He left. A lion attacked him along the way and killed him. His corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey was standing beside it. The lion was standing beside the corpse too. Men passing by, they saw it. An obscure story, right? Michael, why? Well, the dude just didn't get a second chance. I mean, that, hit, hit, the command was don't go and eat. Don't, don't go back the way, don't come back the way you came. Don't go and eat and drink. Simple command. Somebody lies to him. Say, oh, God told me it was okay. That sounds like a, a part of the message this morning. God said it was okay, so, you know, you can do it. it, it, it or, or how, when I mentioned Beth Moore, actually, and, and, and what people are saying, taken out of the Bible to be more loving. God's, no, oh no, God told me it's okay, these things are alright. No, see, obedience is required. Second chances aren't guaranteed. Second chances might be given. Jonah was lucky enough. I wonder if he had, what if he had said no the second time? What if when God gives this word to him the second time, Jonah said, well, Tarshish didn't work. Maybe I should go north this time instead of west. You know, maybe try that. Maybe we most of us would say, "Well, Jonah's not that big of an idiot." Well, most of us are. I mean, we, I, I've, I've done it before. How many times have we told no to God? I told God no, and He says, "Nope, get up." And, no, well, but God, look how many times Moses argued with him at the burning bush. God, I'm not. I'm slow of speech. I'm not good with talking to people. I'm not. Doing, you know, and 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 second chance, second chance, second chance. Finally, Aaron will be your mouthpiece. You won't get the 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 glory. You won't get the the blessing of being my spokesman. Aaron will do it for you. We don't always get that second chance, and there's no guarantee Jonah would have gotten the third. As a matter of fact, I would dare say, in our little fantasy world of thinking, he probably wouldn't have made it past the no uh, if he had told God no a second time. So the second time, the word of the Lord came. That word of the Lord in Jonah 3, verse 2. 
Hold on, let me get back to it. Get up, go, preach. The first seven words of verse 2 of chapter 3 are the same as the first seven words of verse 2 of chapter 1. Verse 2, chapter 1. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach. That was 1, 2. 3, 2. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach. God's will will not be subverted. God had a plan for Nineveh. God was not surprised when Jonah said no the first time. God was not surprised when Jonah... Well, we don't know what he's going to do, right? We haven't gotten there yet. God was not surprised by his response here either. God's will was that the gospel, that the message of repentance would be preached to Nineveh. Therefore, the message of repentance was going to be preached in Nineveh. Maybe, maybe it wasn't Jonah that was going to do it. Maybe Jonah, if Jonah had said no the second time, there would have been another prophet. Here's, here's where we can start making some application to our church. Remember, Jonah and uh, the All About Me church, we're still on this idea. If it is not First Baptist Sulphur that reaches Sulphur, it will be another church. If it's not us that does it, somebody will. Somebody will be obedient to the call to evangelize the city. Will it be us or will it be somebody else? My prayer is it's both. It's us and somebody else. There are plenty of lost people in our town for all the churches that exist and then some. Uh, I've been, uh, we've been talking to, the missions committee has been uh, talking about working on a church plant somewhere in the area, planting a church in the area. Uh, we kind of have some ideas. We've been talking to Bruce Baker some uh, about, a, and we, we know, have in mind some church planters that we might work at getting down here and working with and that kind of thing. Um, there's, there is plenty of, of, of lost people to, to invite many, many more churches. I've forgotten what the numbers are. Uh, something like, Andy, you may be able to remember better than I, uh, something like 8% of our population is, is considered an evangelical church goer. That's not necessarily someone who has trusted Christ. But on any given Sunday is in an evangelical church, not even Southern Baptist church. We start talking to Southern Baptist, and I think it's 3% of our area, Lake Charles Sulphur, are in a Southern Baptist church on a Sunday morning. There are lots of people to take the gospel to. So we look here, uh, we see that uh, we, we've got this, this idea for uh, a planning church uh, here in Sulphur. We see what is is possible we see uh god's will will not be subverted and dadgummit i did it again same thing i did this morning i forgot the point for this great illustration that i had i need some sleep y'all sir just keep talking and i'll come it'll come back to me eventually uh that's usually that's what happens we have the opportunity now to take this oh you're right it eventually got there I understand that in years past, First Sulphur talked about planting a church in Carlos. Ten years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, talked about doing it, and it just wasn't the right time, is, is, is what I've been told. Or it was decided that it wasn't the right time. 
I don't know if y'all are aware of it, but now there's a church plant in Carla. Actually, a couple of them. There's there's one at the I think the elementary school down there. Yep, and then what used to be First Baptist Carlos is now Southside Baptist Church. Steve Ramsey is the, the the revitalization pastor of that one, and they're doing a great job down there. Those were opportunities because you know what? There are lost people that live in Carlos. There there are lost people that that, that need the gospel in Carlos. And and God wants to save those people. Why? Because he wants to save Everyone who's lost. He, he's not willing that any would perish. So he wants the gospel gotten down there. And First Sulphur had the opportunity 10, 12, 15 years ago to plant a church down there. First Baptist Sulphur, for whatever reason, decided it wasn't the right time. And now two churches are planted down there, reaching people with the gospel. And First Baptist Sulphur is not involved. God's will was to save people. I would think at least possibly. I wasn't here when the decision was made, obviously. But I would think possibly God wanted to use First Baptist Sulphur to do that. And now we're not involved with that. So the missions committee has said, we're not making that mistake again. So we are looking into all the things that we can do to help uh, get a church plant going in the area. Because that's what we're called to do as churches, is to reach the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the city with the gospel. So God's will won't be subverted. See, I did have a point. God has a plan to reach sulfur. Will we be a part of that plan? God goes on and says uh, here to, to Jonah, Get up, go preach the message that I will tell you. So we, he's, now he's changing the wording here a little bit. The message I will tell you. There's no room for Jonah's ideas here. Um, Jonah had a, a, an idea of, of what it, God's grace should be like. Who, who, to whom God's grace should be extended. And he didn't really think the Ninevites fit into that, that mold that he had. It, there was no room for that. Jonah, you have a responsibility. That responsibility is to serve me, God says. So in order to serve me, you get up, go, and do what I tell you. Say what I tell you to say. So the brevity of the message, we're going to see that here in just a, a minute. The, the brevity of the message may be God's doing. We kind of mock Jonah for this message, you know, the, the, this one-sentence sermon uh, that he gives. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Maybe that was the only message that God gave him. Because he says, tell them, you tell them what I tell you to say. And, and I'm fairly certain Jonah was pretty obedient to what God called. He was like taking notes now. All right. Okay. I'm not saying anything else. That's it. We'll see. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Verse uh, 3, Jonah obeyed. And again, the first two words of the sentence, the Hebrew words, in 3.3 three are the same as 1.3. So Jonah got up. Here's another one of our little uh, little cliffhangers. He got up. And then last time he got up, he went down to Joppa. This time he gets up and he goes to Nineveh. Oh, finally, Jonah, you got it. You understood. You did what you're supposed to. Obedience this time. We don't get any details of the trip. We know that it was about 500 miles away. Uh, it was a good month of travel if he rode an animal, and he probably did. It was uh, a month to get there. This wasn't an easy 
excursion he took. And we're back to what could have been if Jonah had been obedient the first time. Uh, I, I've talked to you before uh, about if, if he had been obedient, if he had been more interested in the message, how might he have witnessed to people along the way? That 500 miles, how many towns would he have gone through? How many oases would he have stopped and drunk water at? How many people, how many people would he have talked to along the way and possibly reached them with the message of repentance to become a follower of Yahweh, the one true God? But, but we don't get any details of that. Maybe it's because he didn't do any of that. Maybe it was because he was still upset about having to do it. And he, I was told to go to Nineveh, so that's all I'm going to do. I was told to give this one sermon, this one-sentence sermon. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe, maybe that was the case. Maybe we're being too hard on him. We're not giving any details to know. But I do know what our Great Commission is as a church, as individuals. Matthew uh, 28, 19 and 20. We say, go ye therefore. And then that's, that's how we, we translate it in most, uh, most English translations. And, and that's good. Except that there's a little nuance to that word go. It's more of an as you go. As you are going. Really, we, 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 we take that as a missionary calling. Go to Nineveh. Go to the nations. And, and what God, what Jesus wants us to do there is, as you are going... So if you're going over there, as you get there, make disciples. As you go from home to work, to the restaurant for lunch, back to work, to home, to here, to there, as you are going, make disciples. If, if Jonah had just done that, what might have that, what might that pathway between Joppa and Nineveh have looked like? We don't know. Verse 4. I believe is where I am. No, middle of three. Now, Nineveh was an extremely large city. Uh, actually, this literally is a great city to God. A great city to God. All kinds of discussion about what this could mean. Uh, it's probably not about size because Nineveh was not a huge city. Other places that, uh, are called great cities to God in the Bible. Jerusalem is one of them. Gibeon is another. And they weren't particularly big cities when they were called that. Uh, Nineveh would not have taken, as we're going to see here in a minute, a three, day, three days to walk around. It, it was mo not more than about three miles across at any point uh, based on what we know about it. So if it's not talking about the size, what is God saying about Nineveh here? It's possibly geopolitical importance. It's a great city. It was the, the, the at one time had been and kind of weakened, but had been a major, the capital of Assyria, one of the most feared and hated uh, empires of the day. Possibly it's talking about uh, God's dominion over the enemies of Jerusalem. It was a great city to God. It was owned by God. It was his city, regardless of whether they followed him or not. That's a, a possibility. But most likely, this is a message of grace, a message of the importance of the individuals of that, that city. Most likely, it was because they are image bearers to God. Literally, that is a great city to God. Those people are his people. They don't know him. They don't follow him, but they are his creation. They are people he loves and he wants to bring into his fold. Most likely, that's what it means here. 
our, our, our application there is that the vilest sinner is an image bearer of God whom God loves. And that's that is a hard image to get in our heads. We have lots of people that we're okay with. I mean, okay with, like they don't do anything that's really, really bad that we really, really don't like. We're okay with them, and we're fine with calling them and seeing them as image bearers of God. It's those people that we struggle with. Oh, well, they've got, they, do, they commit sins I don't like. They don't commit the sins I do like. They commit sins I don't like. And I, so I, 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 we are very quick. If you don't believe me, get on the Internet for a little while. Look at somebody's Twitter feed or Facebook and see how we demean, we dehumanize people because of their sinfulness. Every person, no matter the sin, is an image bearer of God whom God loves. So sulfur is a great city to God because it's filled with image bearers of God that He loves. New Orleans is a great city to God because it is filled with image bearers of God whom He loves. Las Vegas, Sodom, Gomorrah, Paris, Mecca, Riyadh. Pick your city. They are great cities to God because they are full of image bearers whom God loves. Therefore, to us, they should be people worthy of our gospel presence, our gospel presentation, our love, our pity, our pain, our empathy. But for the grace of God, there go we. That would be us if it were not for the grace of God. Lost, dying, no access to the gospel. So we should be willing to take that. So a great city to God. A three-day walk, he says. Like we said, the, the three-day walk, it, it was not large physically. The, the city was not that large physically. But there's something that, that God meant here when he inspired Jonah to write this. Uh, possibly this is the time that it took Jonah to meet all the high-end functionaries, he, meeting all the people. He, he was an emissary, basically, from Israel. But I, I don't know. That's kind of given him a lot of uh, political clout here. I'm not sure that that's, that's exactly what he's talking about, this three-day journey. It's possibly this, or three-day walk. It's possibly this oriental, and we're not supposed to say that, I found out. But uh, is this oriental hospitality practice that a visit was three days long. A true visit in the Orient. And that's what, well, I think we're not supposed to call people Orientals. Uh, But the the Near East uh, is uh, a true visit was a day, a day, and a day. Two nights. That's how you were hospitable to someone. Eh, maybe. Seems like a stretch, right? Possibly this three-day walk was a day in from the the outer borders, the suburbs. I've been fascinated for a long time about town placement. Um, Nixon, where we came from, was 30 miles. Well, I would joke. Well, I won't tell that joke. Uh, was 30 miles from Gonzales. Gonzales was our county seat, Gonzales County. 
It was, Nixon was 30 miles from Gonzales, the county seat. It was 30 miles from Seguin, which was the county seat of uh, the next county. I can't remember what county that was. Guadalupe, I think. Um, it was 30 miles from Floresville, which was also a county seat. It was 30, about 30 miles from Cuero, which was a, a county seat. I think there was one more, maybe. But then there were outline 30, 30 miles, as I understand it, by horseback was a day's ride, thereabout. Never ridden a horse for a day in my life, but that's how I understand it. A day's walk was about five miles. So, so outside of Nixon, you have a number of little towns. Well, I wouldn't even call them towns now. I'd call them communities. That was about a day's walk. So what we're talking about here, this three-day journey, it would be like you would walk, there's a little town called Pandora outside of Nixon, about five miles. It, a three-day's journey would be the, the day in from Pandora to Nixon that took to walk there, the day to do your business, and then the day to go back home. It still sounds like a stretch, though. I mean, we're really struggling to figure out what this three-day walk is. The best idea here is that Jonah shared the message in that town in about three days. It took Jonah three days to share the message everywhere. And then on the first day, verse 4, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city. And this is kind of where we get that idea, right? Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city, and he proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. The image we get here is that Though Nineveh would have been a three-day walk to spread the message, Jonah, as soon as he hit the city limits, as soon as he hit the gates, he starts sharing the message. Doesn't wait. Now, I doubt seriously that his urgency, uh, I doubt urgency propelled him unless it was the urgency to leave. I want to get this message out to as many people as I can so I can get out of here. I don't want to be here right now. He didn't like the people. He didn't want to be there. He was a foreigner with bad news. I mean, imagine, I don't know, in the midst of the Cold War, some Russian uh, government official coming to America and saying, walking through the streets of Washington, D.C., saying, in 40 days, the U.S. will be demolished. They're going to ask him some questions. What he knows exactly. What he's talking about. That's maybe the equivalent of Jonah walking through Nineveh saying, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. So he wanted to get out of there. And then I also think here, we, based on how the story ends, we've got Jonah just going through the motions of obedience. He's just doing what he was supposed to do. He was doing what he's told. There's no, there's no love, there's no grace, there's no compassion for these people. I've already been swallowed by a fish, I ain't going through that again. God said, go and spread, tell this message, I'm going to tell the message. That's it. And hang what happens, but at least I did what I was supposed to. I know nobody ever does that in church work. It's never, that's never the motivation. Just rote obedience with no love and compassion for the people. But for Jonah... That seems to be it. And he gives this message, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Let's remember that we learn here in a little bit, Jonah actually hopes this is the case. He gets his popcorn, he gets his lawn chair, he gets him a Coke, 
he goes, sets up on a hill, and he waits for destruction to fall. He, he is excited about this. Nothing since the fish swallowed him and then spit him out. This great has happened in Jonah's life. Now, did he shorten the message? I still wonder. Is that the actual message he preached? Or have they condensed it? Did he condense it for us or, or for the, the, the book? Did he really walk through the city only saying, in 40 days, none of it will be demolished? Was he obedient in part? Is he telling us what he actually said when God actually told him to say more? The reason I, I, I question is there's no call for repentance. Do you notice that? What we have is not a call for repentance. It is just a statement of judgment. He provides no way out. This is the worst presentation of the gospel, the plan of salvation in the history. It is like me standing up here on Sunday morning, getting to the end of the message and saying, all you sinners are going to hell. That's great. That's true to an extent. But where's the grace? Where's the how, how do I stop that? How do I keep that from happening? The message we have has none of that. So I wonder. I wonder if that's all it was. And you know, it, it is possible. Because what we've learned, what we know about this, this time is... In, in the last 50 years prior to Jonah getting to Nineveh, they've had famine, they've had a solar eclipse, and they've had rebellion. So nothing's been working out well for Nineveh, Assyria, in the last 50 years or so. So some random guy who shows up, you know, just some day after everything's kind of, you know, it's, it's been bad. He shows up and said, oh, y'all, y'all are gone in 40 days. Instead of getting mad at him, they realize, well... Yeah, that's about right. That's about what we expected. And there's also this little hint. It's interesting how Hebrew works. There's a slight positive note in Jonah's message. And maybe, maybe God did that on purpose. I'm going to lean toward he did. Because the, the way Jonah phrases this, it, it's actually in 40 days, Nineveh will be turned upside down. That's actually what he says. And that phrase, turned upside down, can be used, isn't this great, for a change of heart. So could it be that Jonah, given the words from God, this short, simple message to Nineveh that has gone through 50 years of just horrible things, they're waiting for something to break through, some sort of change to happen, either end it or fix it, one or the other. And Jonah gets this message of, you're going to be destroyed. But when they hear it, what they hear is, in 40 days, you're going to have a change of heart. Oh, wouldn't it be just like God to give Jonah some words? And Jonah gets excited about those words and judgment. And God uses those words to bring grace and repentance. I don't know, there may be more to it than that, but based on what we have, there's this beautiful hint of God just tweaking Jonah a little bit. I mean, you just, you just hear it say, yeah, here Jonah, say this. Yeah. And God says, gotcha. So what do we see in these four verses as we 
begin the, the message. First, sin is serious and God's judgment is certain. The sin of Nineveh was great. It was a horrible, horrible country. Sin of uh, Assyria, the, the country there. And God's judgment was certain. There was judgment going to fall in 40 days. It was guaranteed without repentance. Y'all, our, our, our damnation is guaranteed because of our sinfulness without repentance, without the blood of Jesus. There is no sinfulness of individuals, of persons, or of peoples that goes unnoticed by God. We, we think sometimes we operate in a vacuum. But this one won't be noticed. Nobody will hear about this. And, 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 and you know, it, it, it's just not always the case. Nobody, no human may ever know. But God always does. There's no part of the world right now where God is not aware of the sin that is happening. It's not concerned for the plight of the individuals involved is not completely and totally in love with both the person who's committing the sin and the person who's having the sin committed to them. There's no situation where God is not calling the church to respond in grace and love and and in evangelistic fervor with hope, with the words of peace that only the gospel can bring. God is not unaware. Second thing I think we see here is that God warns those outside His will. He didn't warn Jonah. Jonah knew better. Nineveh gets a warning. We talked about it in Sunday school. J.R., it's a bad Sunday if I don't bring up either in Sunday morning or Sunday night something we talked in Sunday school about in Sunday school, and I get to do it today. God warns those outside of His will. Those of us who know Him, who know His statutes and laws, Psalm 119, if your Sunday school class is going through that, we don't really have an excuse for the way we act. The lost... They have a little more of an excuse. We should not expect the lost to act like Christians. They're not going to. We should not be surprised when they do act like unbelievers and non-Christians. But God warns them. God wants them to repent and turn. Third, God uses believers to warn. That's our job. It's not our job to yell at them. It's not our job to call them dirty, rotten scoundrel sinners it's our god to take the mess our, our job to take the message of grace to them this is god's plan for the church there's no plan b plan a to get the gospel into the hearts of the lost is the church always has been god's plan is to use this church and all about me church won't do this and all about me, church, won't care about the lost, won't care about the hurting. It is much easier to, to complain and condemn about the sinfulness of the world than take the world the only cure they can have for their sinfulness. The hard part is to take the gospel to them. And all about me, church, won't. Jonah wouldn't. Jonah got a second chance. Jonah got the opportunity And we'll see the result of that when we start looking at verse 5 next week. Hmm? Right. Oh, yeah. Not next week. 
But I won't tell you why not next week. I'll surprise you next week. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you, God, that you do give second chances. God, we thank you that you give third and fourth and ad infinitum sometimes. But Lord, I pray that we don't grow dependent on your second chance. You've called us to be obedient, and I pray that that is what we are. We will be obedient. Lord, don't, don't, do not allow us to continue in if that's where we are or fall back on or fall back into if, if we're moving out of it or don't let us get into if that's the direction we're going into being an all about me church Lord we have got to be you have called us to be an all about them church nothing about me but all about the lost Lord make that our number one focus grace peace love for those who never heard. They don't know better. They don't know your gospel. May we share it. May they respond in Jesus' name. Amen.